today's verse is Romans 8 and verse 6. Romans 8 and verse 6. Now you should really read all of Romans 8 or the verses before and after verse 6 just to get a context but just for time and not to drag things on I'm just going to read verse 6. I think in the notes that you'll find online at the bottom of the YouTube clip and also the full notes on brixham.church forward slash mind and it'll have a few more verses in but of course your Bible also has those verses you can go to Romans 8 and verse 6 says the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Full stop. No extras, because you're dead. The mind covered by the spirit, governed by the spirit, is life and peace. Wonderful. Well, let's have a look at some of these words then. We're talking about the mind in this verse, aren't we? And when the mind is governed by different things, you've got two choices, the flesh and the spirit. But let's look at the word uh, the word for mind. The Greek word for mind here means thought, purpose, aspirations. It means the innermost personal level of opinion. It means the inner perspective, thoughts and how they bear on outward behaviour. So it's not necessarily just the, the random thoughts that pop into your mind from now and then. It's more to do with your contemplation, your, your personal level of opinion, your perspective, uh, and how that then de determines um, how you behave. So in our verse, Paul is talking about our thoughts and our aspirations. And the ones that are governed by the flesh are different from the ones that are governed by the spirit. But what does he mean by flesh? So I've talked about mind, not much to say about it. It's quite similar to uh, the English meaning of the word mind. So there's no big deal there. The, the Greek word for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X. The Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, it means the flesh. And it's different from the word body. And we'll look at the word body next time. But this time we're just looking at the word sarx, which means flesh. And we're talking about the mind being governed by the flesh. And the flesh is the earthly part of a person with all its lusts and its desires. It literally means flesh and can be used um, to, to talk about, like in sacrifices, the flesh of an animal. Um, but when it's used of a person, it's come to mean the kind of the bad stuff about us that has its desires of the body, the biological desires. When we when we see the Greek word for body being used, that's more the biological body, just as it is as a scientific reality. Um, but when we talk about the word flesh, we talk about perhaps the biological urges and lusts and emotions that we feel within the body. Um, the New Bible Dictionary. Wait. Oh, I've lost it. I was just going to hold it up for some reason. Oh, I've got it still open here. Um, this thing here, which I, I bought way back in uh, January 92, I bought this while I was at Bible College. The New Bible Dictionary uh, says of the flesh that it's the whole personality of man organised in the wrong direction, directed to earthly pursuits rather than the service of God. So we're talking about the mind that is directed by the flesh, 
we're saying it's the whole person of, personality of man as organised in the wrong direction, directed to earthly pursuits. So we're talking about the mind that's following earthly pursuits. Quite simple, really. We know all of that, but I just think it's quite important that sometimes, especially if we're a new Christian and we're reading words like flesh, which we probably haven't come across in this context before we came to Christ, that we understand what we mean by flesh and um, and, and that's that's what I'm aiming to do. So we talked about the mind being governed by the flesh, put some practical application about this very soon. Um, and secondly, we talk about in the same verse, the mind governed by the spirit, which is life and peace. Well, the word spirit is very interesting and there's way more to say about it than I have time for here today. I think it's quite important to go back to the Old Testament and look at Ruach, R-U-A-H, um, there's a literal spelling of it, but um, some people quite commonly spell R-U-A-C-H to help us pronounce it correctly. Um, Ruach means three things all at once, and these are not three separate meanings, they're kind of an overlapping meaning, and I'll read something in a second from, uh, again, from the New Bible Dictionary that helps us see that, but the three things it means, according to this book, again, um, is, is that it means wind, breath, and divine power. Wind, breath, and divine power, God's power. Um, and here's what I've, I've made some notes from this from this book. It says these are not distinct meanings. Wind, breath, divine power, they're not three separate meanings, but it's more of a spectrum of meaning where different senses of the word merge into one another. This is how Hebrew thinking works. It's not so scientific and compartmentalised, which is why a lot of modern people find it difficult to come to terms with. Um, but as I would say to my students years back, there are some things that science can't see and maybe we can unlock some uh, spiritual truths by not being too scientific all the time. Although I am so grateful for science and what it's helped us to uncover about God's creation and how we can uh, apply medicine and all those kind of things. But here we're, we're, we're taking a less scientific view and we're looking at the word spirit and we're seeing that this word wind, breath and divine power, they're all kind of intermingled as one word and it's deliberate. It's not the limitations of language where they only add one word for three things. It's a deliberate nuance that we, we learn from the context of the passage, what is being said at the time. At its heart is the experience, this is the the word spirit, the word ruach in, 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 in Hebrew, uh, according to the New Bible Dictionary, at its heart is the experience of a mysterious, awesome power. Now, if you think about the wind, we can see that as a mysterious, awesome power. Um, I don't even understand how the wind blows and works. I know scientists do today, but it's still pretty cool and amazing and it's awesome. Um, even if we unpick the science of it, it doesn't, re doesn't remove the mystery. The wind is incredible. Just the human breath. Uh, there's, 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 sorry, there's three definitions, remember. Wind, breath and di divine power. And we're, we're saying that at, at its heart is the experience of a mysterious, awesome power. Your breath is a mysterious, awesome power. Every time you breathe in and breathe out and take it for granted and breathe in your sleep, it's incredible and the divine power of God is 
in all of that. And we think about how God breathed his breath into the nostrils of of man when he created man. And it's God's divine power and God's breath that causes our breath to breathe. And I love uh, now as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking about that song. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath. It's his divine power. It's mysterious. It's all his creation. So there's this intermingling of meanings with the word ruach. And so when we think about the human spirit, we're thinking about these things. We're talking about God's spirit in us. And so we come then to the Greek writings. But these Greek writers were predominantly Jewish writers. In fact, it's only Luke who wasn't Jewish in in the writers of the New Testament, who who was um, a a non-Jewish doctor. The rest of the New Testament writers who are writing in Greek in a different time, but they will they they will have known um, the the Jewish scriptures very well, particularly Paul, who's the writer of today's verse. So um, we have to carry some of that thinking over. We're not talking about two distinct uh, writings, even though Hebrew and Greek is very very different. So when Paul uses the word word pneuma, which is the Greek for spirit. He will be mindful of the, the, the Hebrew word ruach. But just to speak very briefly on pneuma, the Greek word for spirit, it's often seen as the dimension of human personality. We're talking about where's your head out. We're talking about who we are as people. We're saying that the spirit is the d- dimension of human pers- personality whereby relationship with God is possible. So my body, I can use my body to worship, but my body doesn't connect with God. But it's my spirit that has been made whole and perfect and renewed by the Holy Spirit as he came into me, as I, as I uh, asked Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. It's the dimension of human personality where a relationship with God is possible. By far the most common reference in the New Testament to this word pneuma, spirit, is actually the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. And in fact, there is ambiguity when you look at the word spirit. Even in this verse today, the mind governed by the spirit, all the Greek original writings were all written in capitals. So where the... the, The NIV, the New International Version, has put a capital S where it says the mind governed by the Spirit, suggesting that the mind is governed by the Holy Spirit. The whole thing's written in capitals. The NIV has chosen to interpret it. It's ambiguous. It could be that in Paul's mind he was thinking the mind governed by the Spirit with a small s. And actually, what's the difference? Because if the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I've got to thank my dad for this thought because I rang him up last week and asked him, Dad, what is the um, what is the original Greek here where it's the word spirit? And he said, John, you're forgetting that the whole thing's written in capitals. Uh, and he reminded me of a, a, a renowned scholar who actually sometimes just writes capital S slash small s spirit um, because it's ambiguous. If his spirit lives in me, then his spirit in my spirit are going to want the same things. So if we're being governed by the spirit, it doesn't matter if it's by the big 
S spirit, the Holy Spirit, or my spirit, because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Paul says, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I live in a tent, the earthly body, which is deteriorating and temporary, but I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the mind governed by the Spirit is my spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, it's governing my mind, it's deciding what my mind should think about. We're in two minds now. Literally, there's no word governed. The New International Version uh, has the word govern, the mind governed by the Spirit. But I just thought it'd be interesting to look at what the Greek does say. And it literally, the words are this. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. It's almost as if we've got two minds, not as the NIV suggests, if your mind is governed by the flesh, it goes one way. If, if your mind is governed by the spirit, it goes another way. Actually, it's almost like you've got a, uh, a flesh mind and a spirit mind. And I don't know if that's theologically accurate. I'm not enough of a theologian to think about that. But I, I just like the idea that sometimes I am in two minds. There is a battle of the flesh. There is a war going on inside of me. My spirit wants one thing. My my mind wants another. And and what a wretched man I am, because so often the thing that I want to do, are these words sounding familiar? The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do do. Oh, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? This flesh that is so much me, that makes me who I am. Ah, well, the Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And and he is the one inside your spirit wanting you to do the right thing. Are these words sounding familiar? Well, they're from Romans 7. Just to read two verses from Romans 7. Paul is saying, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. In my inner being, he says, Romans 7 verse 22, my inner being, I'm taking that to be my spirit with a small s. I delight in God's law. I want to do everything. I want to do everything God says. So let's get practical. The point is clear. We choose which kind of mind to live by or as the NIV puts it, we choose how our mind is governed. Number one, we have the mind of the flesh, which is death. Couldn't be any stronger than that. Or we've got number two, the mind of the spirit, which is life and peace. Not leads to, not future tense. It is the life and peace. Let's get practical. Let's think about those two things very quickly. The flesh Let's just unpack what the flesh wants. What is it the flesh wants? I I don't think you probably need any examples, but here's some anyway. I wrote some down. Food. My flesh wants food. My body wants food, but I have fleshly desires for food. Well, I shouldn't have. Wine. I enjoy a glass of wine. Not an alcoholic, but I like wine. The flesh could want more. I could, after one glass, might want another one. And then after that one, I might want another one. And the flesh cries out for more. But, uh, and and the, the spirit gets quieter in my mind because the mind is being governed by the flesh, but it leads to death. Food, wine, cheese specifically. I know it comes under the category of food, but I would say cheese is my number one food temptation. I've not got a sweet tooth, so I had to mention cheese. Sex, pleasure. 
appreciation. Cheese, did I mention cheese? And some more cheese, even though I'll struggle to sleep because it's late at night and it goes so well with that extra wine. Okay, you get the idea. It's the lusts of the flesh. There are worse lusts and if you want more, there's some in the in the notes. That um, if, if I don't have room in the YouTube notes, go to brixham.church forward slash mind, M-I-N-D, and you will see some more examples from the Bible of lusts of the flesh. It's a pretty grotty and grim view. All those things are actually quite good in context. Jesus drank wine. I like cheese and it's got protein in it. Sex, ple sex, pleasure, appreciation, food. They're all good things in context. But when the mind of the flesh takes over, they can become destructive and they lead to an unhealthy place. In fact, let's take them to their logical conclusion. Some of these things, they lead to gluttony. They lead to heart disease, liver failure, other illnesses, which lead to physical death or early death. Selfish desires of the flesh leading to relationship breakdowns. God invented sex, God made sex, and sex is a beautiful thing. God decided that man and woman should become one flesh in marriage, and it's celebrated beautifully in the book of the Song of Solomon. But sex gone wrong, following the desires of the flesh, not the spirit, leads to relationship breakdowns, the death of a marriage, looking elsewhere for appreciation outside, outside of sex, just looking elsewhere, the wrong places for your validation or appreciation leads to relationship breakdowns elsewhere. But ultimately, the person who lives by the flesh is not born of the Spirit of God, it says in Romans 8, and is spiritually dead. So the mind of the flesh is death, present tense, not just that it leads to death. You, however, Christian at BCC, are not in the realm of the flesh. You're not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. That's verse 9 of Romans 8. So that's the flesh. Enough about that. Let's look about the spirit and let's get practical as what we can do to enable ourselves and encourage ourselves to live by the spirit in these times. So here's choice number two. We can live by the spirit. What does the Holy Spirit want in us? Or to put it another way, what do our renewed spirits want? Well, again, you could think of examples. You might add to this list, but here's four bullet points that I just thought of. This isn't a theological study. This is just a John Pett's idea storm. The spirit inside me wants to have a hunger for his word. It wants a desire for honesty, integrity and righteous living. It wants anything that expresses love for God. It wants to love others in practical ways. And it wants to have faith and increase in faith. There's five things, did I say four? And life and peace come from doing those things and wanting those things and pursuing after those things. Not just in the future, in heaven, but now. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we pursue the realm of the spirit, we experience more peace. We experience the shalom of God. Nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness, now 
and in the future. But I don't see that in my own life, I hear you cry. See, I don't hear that in my own life. I don't see that in my own life. Well, I would ask you, where is your head at? Where's your mind at? Where are you placing your thoughts? What is your mind being governed by? But I can't control my mind. Thoughts just come into it uncontrollably. Yeah, me too. I keep thinking about cheese. But I can choose what I do with those thoughts. Paul Elsewhere talks about taking every thought captive. We're going to have to take some thoughts captive if we're going to uh, allow our minds to be governed by the spirit and not by the flesh. Don't feel guilty when thoughts come. Take hold of those thoughts. Don't let the thought lead to another negative, destructive thought. Capture it and move on. Have a Bible verse ready. If you have a constant thought that you are a disappointment or that um, you are an underachiever, find a Bible verse that says something different or a word that you feel the Lord is telling you. So every time you have a, a thought that says you're a disappointment to others, you say, I'm a delight in the eyes of God. God delights in me. If you feel like you are an underachiever, you tell yourself every time that thought comes into your head, you replace it instantly with a Bible verse. I am the head and not the tail. And you tell you, you can say it out loud. It makes it makes a big difference. So you can control your mind. You can control your thoughts. You can't control random thoughts popping into your head. But you can control what you do with them. If you're going to believe the Bible, you have to believe that's true. Because in Philippians 4, 8, um, we're instructed to choose what we think about. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You're told what to think about. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your mind. Like you have a mindset that I'm going to think about heavenly things. So don't feel guilty if you do have these random bad thoughts. You, you, you might have a renewed spirit. You might be born again, but you still are in the flesh. You still have a flesh body that you have to live with. It is a daily battle. So what do I do with all these wrong thoughts? I've got two really practical tips for you to do and the second is the most powerful. Number one, take control over what comes into your mind. You can limit the time you spend on certain things. You can choose when to turn off the TV. You can choose what channel to watch and what program to watch. That will affect your mindset. You can think about how often you spend with negative people or interacting with people that bring you down in, in a negative way. Love them, help them, by all means pray for them, but limit your time with them. Limit your access to social media. Get off your phone lasting at night. Don't have your phone by the bed. If you can charge it downstairs or in a different room and have a different alarm clock, do that because well, that's certainly what I've needed to do. And that's what I do every day. I keep my phone charged downstairs and we've got an alarm clock in the room. Limit your access to cake in the cupboard. <clears throat> Don't shop for it if you're trying to cut down on it. It's so much easier to control your thoughts about cake when there's no cake in the cupboard. Limit how much cheese you buy.
If you're having problems drinking too much, limit how much beer you put in the fridge. These things aren't always just about avoiding having temptation around. They're actually avoiding what thoughts come into your mind. I'm not going to go and get that beer out of the fridge. I'm not if the beer's not in the fridge, you're not going to have that thinking. So point one was take control over what comes into your mind. You have control. You can take control. It's a discipline. Maybe have someone you can be accountable to, to help you on that journey. Point two, and I've nearly finished now, surrender daily to the Holy Spirit. This is the most powerful thing you can do. If you're really serious about knowing the life and peace that are mentioned in this verse, you're going to have to get serious about the Spirit who offers them. Say a simple prayer every day. Here's how it might work. In fact, let's do this now. Why don't you just still yourself where you are? Take a moment to recognise that God's Holy Spirit lives within you. Thank him for his indwelling within you. Thank him that although your, uh, your body is just an earthly tent uh, and temporary, that spiritually the Holy Spirit lives within you. And listen to him. And every day, pray something like, Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of me. I surrender to you today. Help me to hear your voice so that I can follow your lead. Amen. And end your day with a prayer as well. When you, when, you, um, when you put your head on the pillow at night, think about your day. Go back through the day and uh, say sorry for a few things. Don't feel guilty. Move on. But um, he's, he will freely pardon you. But end your day. Before you put your head on the pillow, switch off your light. Just Just talk to the Lord about your day and say, thank you for being with me. Even when I, even when I didn't recognize you you were you were there and help me to live for you tomorrow again and wake up and say the same prayer that I just prayed with you then and that's my challenge that we would be a, a church of people who are different how else are we going to be different from the rest of the world how else are we going to shine our light unless we have a different way of living. The rest of the world will live their lives according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit, and it will show. So by now, uh, thinking about all these words in the Bible, we should now have a, a good understanding of what the Bible means by mind, by flesh, and by spirit. If not, go through the notes, have another read, watch the video again, uh, and we should have a better idea of how these three words relate to Christian life. But what about the body? We're going to talk about that next time. The topic for my talk in a week's time is body talk. And uh, I encourage you to tune in. Here are some questions now. They'll also be in the notes at the end and on that web page that I mentioned before, brixham.church forward slash mind. Number one, can you identify triggers, times in the day or places where your mind can wander away from godly thoughts and towards the flesh. 
This is a personal question for reflection, not asking uh, for you to confess your sins to me. Confess them to God and work it out. Unless you've got someone who you want to be accountable to in this, then share that with them. Number one again, can you identify triggers, times in the day or places where your mind can wander away from godly thoughts and towards the flesh? Number two, what guardrails or what battle plan could you put into place to stop you from going off course? Guardrails are there to stop a car or a vehicle going off course. What can you have as a guardrail to keep you on the right road? Or what battle plan in the battle against the flesh are you going to put into place? For example, not having your phone by your bed, not having TV after a certain time, having positive Christian friends that you can spend more time with. So, number one, triggers. What are they? Number two, guardrails or battle plan. What's it to be? Number three, this is where I do want feedback. Have a go at praying this prayer every morning for a week. The one I prayed before, Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside me. I surrender to you today. Help me to hear your voice so that I can follow your lead. And number four, every night for a week before you go to sleep, still yourself before God. Think about your day and pray this prayer. And I've written it out for you. Thank you, God, for being with me today all day long. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling within me. Pause. Let him show you anything about your day that you'd like to thank him for or say sorry for. And then pray, I trust you with all my cares and worries as I sleep tonight. Amen. Have a great day and I look forward to speaking to you in our next Zoom meeting.